Hi everyone, welcome to That Niku Mum, a podcast where we share stories from parents all over New Zealand who have had babies in neonatal units. This week's episode, we have the lovely Hannah from Bear and Moo sharing her story with us. Hannah had her first baby, Regan, just before 32 weeks, unexpectedly when she was out of town. So she had to have him in a hospital away from home. Um, She's since had two other babies with very different births all to each other, very different pregnancies. And I'm so honored that she wants to share her story with us today. We trigger warning, there is a little bit of talk around um, pregnancy loss and um, pregnancy termination in this episode. So if you don't feel as though you are open to listening to that, totally fine. Maybe give this one a miss. Um, It is mentioned after um, we talk about Hadley's birth, so towards the end of the episode. But yes, just to let you know. Um, Otherwise, let's get into it. All right. Do you just want to introduce yourself and your story and your family and everything? Sure. Um, so, hi, I'm Hannah. Uh, I own uh, a business called Bear and Moo, which is a online uh, baby store based in Hamilton. Um, so, I am married to Richard uh, and we have three kids. Regan is our oldest. He is now eight, but he was born uh, at 31 4. Mm-hmm. He was our Naku babe. Um, then we've got Hadley, who is now six, and Maddie, who is two. I can't believe that Regan is eight. I know, right? What the hell? <laughs> I know. Um, so when you were pregnant with Regan, obviously he was your prem baby. Was your pregnancy yeah. straightforward? Did you have any complications? Did you know <laughs> he was going to come early? No, so we didn't know anything with, uh, as you don't with your first. Um, I had high premises um, with all of my babies, but he was, I was vomiting till 23 weeks, I think. Um, So I was, I was quite unwell. Um, So yeah, so he, I was really unwell with the pregnancy. The last time I vomited was, yeah, 23 weeks in the car park of the, of the scan place. Um, And, uh, but other than that, no, no issues. Um, Had all the normal kind of scans and then thought that everything was totally fine. Mm -hmm. And he was born just before 32 weeks. He was. And you were out of town, weren't you? <laughs> we were. So we decided this <laughs> weekend, very last minute, like on the Saturday, to go on a baby moon. And so we went to Auckland on the Sunday from Hamilton and booked in at a hotel. And we had a really lovely day. I was like, I'm super, like, we're still not having the baby for a while. I wasn't that big and heavy and uncomfortable. We were good. Yeah. So we went to the beach and we walked up and down Queen Street and we um, went to the movies and we went out for dinner and then we were back at the hotel lying in bed eating Easter egg chocolate and we had just turned out the lights to go to sleep at like 11, quarter past 11 at night and well, it was my water's breaking. I didn't realize it was my water's breaking at the time, but my water's broke at the hotel. You never know that it's your waters, eh? No, no. And it was you... the most real. Like, I, 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 like, I thought I'd wet the bed, and yeah. I, I, so I got up and I went to the toilet and I tried to clean myself up, and then I started googling like, is wetting the bed a side effect of like being pregnant? Because I was like, you just don't know, and so many weird things are side effects. So I was like, I don't know, is this just like something that might happen as you get further along in pregnancy? And <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I climbed back into bed 
and it happened again. Same thing happened, like same kind of gushing feeling happened. Yeah. So I got back up and went back to the toilet and did the the first thing everybody does. And I went onto my Facebook Jew group and asked the girls in there what to do. And they were like, you need to call your midwife. And I was like, it's 11.30 on Easter Sunday. Like, I don't want to call my midwife. That sucks. <laughs> and I said to Richard, I was like, it feels like my water's breaking, but it's too early. Like, this is what I imagine it would feel like, but it's way too early for that. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So I'm going to have to call Dawn. And he was like, all right. So I rang her and said, told her what had happened. And she was like, yeah, you need to get to hospital now. And I was like, I I don't know where one is. And she's like, where are you? And, <laughs> and she's like, you need to get to Auckland City Hospital. I was like, okay. And she's like, call them, tell them what's happened. Tell them you're on your way. Um, and, and get to the hospital. I was like, all right. And I looked at Richard. I was like, so we've got to go to the hospital. He's like, what now? And I was like, yeah, like right now. And he's like, can it, can it wait? I was like, it can't wait. Like, get up. We're packing our shit and we are off the hospital. <laughs> and so we wandered down, like we packed up our bags and we wandered downstairs to reception. Our car was parked like two or three blocks away because I'm cheap and don't pay for valet parking. And he went to go and get the car and I went up to reception and I was like, um, can you tell me how to get to the hospital? And they were like, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I think I might be in labor. Um, so if you <laughs> tell me how to get to the hospital, and they're like, do you need us to call on you an ambulance? And I was like, no, I just need a map and I need you to tell me how to get to the hospital, please. And they were like, and oh, I need you need- not to panic. <laughs> I, need you know, I just need to know where I'm going. Thank you. <laughs> and so we got in the car and I rang the hospital and told them what my midwife had said to say and then the phone got cut off and I was like oh well they kind of know I'm on my way so we'll be right and it was just it was just all so surreal from that point Mm. Um, what was your birth like it was actually really good so I so we were up in hospital at I don't know midnight ish and they were really apprehensive to check me out and do like an internal because they didn't want to encourage labor if I wasn't actually in labor yet because yep. it was early. And so they got a first lot of steroids into me just in case it was labor. Um, so that that way, if he came early, well, we didn't know it was a boy, but if he came early, his um, lungs would have a better chance. Yeah, And the conversations we were having were just really weird because like the staff at Auckland City Hospital, they were so good. Like the staff were amazing, but they were saying, you know, like, oh, um, some people go into like early labor, but then they're fine and it might, you know, it might go back to normal and you might still go back to work and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this doesn't feel like a situation where you go back to work, but okay. Yeah. Cool. And we just kind of were hanging out and then Richard went back to the hotel, must have been, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. And I started getting twinges. And I ignored it for a while, which is probably not what you're supposed to do. And then I realized that they were like, they weren't painful, but they were like period cramp, like quite light, yeah. but they were kind of consistently coming every sort of 15 minutes. So after about three of those, I pushed the buzzer and said to somebody, look, this is what's going on. So they gave me some pills and I had to take them every 15 minutes for an hour and a half to try to stop labor from progressing. Mm-hmm. And... So that happened and then it was morning and so Richard came back. So I hadn't really slept much and I rang my midwife and I said, they keep saying that I might go back to work. And she's like, yeah, you're not going back to work. She said, there's something like, I don't know, 50% or higher chance that this baby's coming in the next 24 hours. And I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. Like now I know 
where I'm at, what's going on. They're almost like blasé about it, right? Like yeah. they understand that it's their job, but like it, we don't know. Why yeah, are you acting true. like this is such a chill situation when it doesn't feel that way for us? I don't know. And I was like, am I like, that's way too early to be having a baby. But sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I had to ring my mum and I was like, hey, so you've still got keys to my house, right? And you've helped me buy all the stuff for the baby. So you know where it is. Can you pack some stuff and bring it up to Auckland, please? Because I'm in labor. She's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we literally had like one change of clothes in our toilet bags because we were only going yeah. to Auckland one night. And so I was like, we need our, like, we need a whole bunch of stuff. And so mum packed up bags and that was fine. And then labor kicked off. So it was about maybe 8, 8.30 in the morning. Like I had a very short labor. Mm-hmm. 8, 8.30 in the morning and I was like, I am in labor. Like it is front and back. Like I didn't really know much about labor because we were due to start antenatal classes the next day. So I knew literally nothing. And <laughs> But there was like I was getting cramping in the front and the back. And I was like, this is what I imagine this would be like. So I'm like, I'm in labor. And so they hooked me up to a CTG monitor and nothing was coming up. No contractions were showing. They were obviously too deep or minor or something. And so they just, they really just didn't believe me. And so for ages, yeah. I was like, nope, this is definitely labor. And about 10.30, they were like, okay, fine, we'll check you. And they were like, right, you're four centimeters dilated. We're off to delivery. And I was like, fucking fuck you. You labor, but okay. And we got up there and there was just like a whole team as there is when a baby's this early. And so there was um, me and Richard and I think it was two midwives and an obstetrician. Yeah. And they were all so lovely. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, Manchester was supposed to start tomorrow. I know nothing. They're like, it's fine. We'll talk you through it. Like, we've got this. I was like, okay, cool. And I had a little bit of gas. I like half sucked on it, didn't didn't like it, didn't do anything. I was like, that shit. And Richard's like, you didn't really try, but okay. And I was like, didn't like it. Cool. I hated it too. It made me feel so spicy and yuck. Yeah. I was like, I just couldn't like get a proper breath in from it. I don't know. I was like, nah, yeah. not okay, cool. And then we were, I was still having contractions. And then I said, I need to push. And it was 10 past 12. So like, well, I'd only been in labor like three and a half hours at this point. Yeah. So I need to they were like, can you just wait a moment? Pediatrics are on their way. And I was like, not, not really. I can't. Um, but <laughs> sure, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I think four <laughs> pediatrics turned up. So there were seven of them in the room. And they said, right, you can start pushing. And once the baby's head comes out, we'll um, tell you to stop and take a breather. And then we'll get the rest of them out. I was like, okay. And I swear to God, it was like a Chinese burn because he was so little that like as he would start to come out when the contraction stopped he started sliding back up again because yeah. there wasn't any weight behind him to like hold him in place or anything so like he'd yeah. start to go out and then he'd come back and he'd start to go out and he'd come out and I was like oh my lord this is shit and I was like half sitting upright which I'd rather not be sitting at this point but I didn't I knew nothing and I looked down at one point and I saw his head and so I just kept going and literally his head came out and the rest of him just flew out like there was no pausing at <laughs> for anything he just he was out um and he was only he was three pound three so I don't even know what that is in kilos these days but little was, very little. little yeah and so he they took him over to the benches and well, they told us it was a boy and they took him over and they did all their things they weighed him and cleaned him up and all of that and Richard was with him and then they brought him over to us and he was absolutely fine like we were like the the pediatric team kind of said this baby's fine he's just little like this we were so and all I kept thinking when I was in labor and I know this is so dumb (laughs) 
but I was getting weekly emails from Huggies, like weekly marketing emails. Yeah. And the one that came through at 30 weeks said something along the lines of, like, babies that are born now are pretty much likely to survive. Like, they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. And so the whole way through this labor, I just kept going, well, the Huggies email says that the baby will be fine. But like, <laughs> the baby will be fine. I don't know. I'm not fine. I don't know what's going on. I'm worried. But like, the baby's totally fine because, you know, the email told me something. <laughs> <laughs> marketing email that knows nothing, nothing bloody sensible about it at all. And so, yeah, I just was never, there was never a sense of worry about whether he was going to be okay because I just yeah. had absolute faith that like, well, it's past 30 weeks, so he'll be right. They didn't even he get a second shot of steroids in because he came too early. He um, never needed any oxygen or anything straight after birth? So they put him on oxygen. Um, they took him up to NICU and put him on oxygen on CPAP. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that was because we're not from Auckland. So at some point we were going to need to be transferred down to Waikato Hospital. And if that was going down by helicopter, they wanted him on oxygen for the flight. So they kept on oxygen like the whole way up until we were transferred. Um, More as a safety thing. They they always kind of said he just like, they probably would have taken him off CPAP earlier, but they wanted that as a, as a backup for the transfer. And so they just said he's just little. He just needs to grow and feed. Um, How long were you in Auckland for before you got transferred back down to Waikato? So we were up there for nine days in the end. So we, so I had him, Richard went off to Niku with him and I stayed up there with the midwives trying to deliver my placenta, which just was not coming out. So they ended up having to take me into surgery and mm-hmm. manually retrieve it. I'd done the whole labor without any drugs and they had to put an epidural in so that they could get my placenta out, which was so much fun. Um and then I got taken to I got taken via Niku to the ward. So they wheeled me past him um in Niku so that I could see him. And then they took me to a ward. And then once I was walking, I got to go down and see him. And then yeah, we were there. They, oh, and then Richard got put in Ronald McDonald House like immediately. They were so good. good. Um, and so he got to stay on site. Uh and I I got to keep my room at the hospital for four nights, I think. Yeah. And then I moved into Ronald McDonald with him as well. Um, and, yeah, we were there five days. And it was only because Waikato was too full. Um, yeah. They didn't get available for us. So we had to wait for a bed and then we had to wait for a helicopter um, to transfer him and I down. Yeah. And then how long did you spend in Waikato after you got transferred back down? So we were there another four and a half weeks. So we were in hospital for six weeks in total, which was less than we expected um yeah. even though there wasn't anything wrong with him we were kind of told that the expectation is that you go home kind of around the gestational 40 week mark yeah. um and so we ended up going home at closer to 38 um 38 weeks yeah but yeah and how did too- how did you find the units like the differences between the units as well uh, like chalk and cheese. It absolutely blew my mind how different they were given they deliver the same service. Yeah. Um, and considering, like, I mean, I, I get that they are under different DHBs, but it was a totally different experience. Um, and neither was necessarily bad. I just think coming from Auckland down to Waikato was quite different. So yeah. Auckland was very, um, like we, we had all the skin to skin time in the world that we wanted pretty much. We were drawing up his feeds and um, setting up the syringes and, and doing the whole feed ourselves. 
mm-hmm. were very much encouraged to learn how to do everything as his parents and and be involved in as much as we could because there was so much we couldn't do because he was in an incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd kind of gotten used to having all of this control around the things that our baby needed and getting to do all those things ourselves. And then we came down to Waikato and that in itself was a really weird experience because he kind of, he got put into a room and then we kind of settled him in and then we went home and, you know, you walk in the door to your house and you're no longer pregnant, but you also don't have a baby. And you're like, this yeah. is. Um, so we went, we did what any normal person would do and went to Lone Star for dinner and <laughs> we had no food in the house because we hadn't been home in 10 days. <laughs> what else are you going to do? We're like, where are we going to go for dinner where I don't have to get dressed up because I'm still living <laughs> at this point. I was like, where can we go? So we went to Lone Star and then we went back up to the hospital to see our little babe. And and I guess as well, because in Auckland, because we were staying on site, we rocked up to the hospital at like seven or eight in the morning and we just yeah. stayed all day. Where else yeah. to be? We had nothing else to do. So we were there until 10 o'clock at night and then went back, went to sleep. I was waking in the night to pump and then... um. And then went back up to the hospital all day. Whereas once we were home at Waikato, like real life had to kind of kick in a little bit. So mm. Waikato Hospital was just different. Um, yeah. Nobody was, like it wasn't like the staff were mean or, or anything like that. Everybody was great, but they've just got a, a different set of rules in place. So we we weren't allowed to draw up his feet. Um, yeah. we, to, we could hold the syringe once it had been set up, but they had to draw the feet and, and set it all up for us. Yeah. Um, I and really then, struggled with that too as well, like the fact that yeah. it didn't feel like it was your baby. You had to yeah. ask permission to change his nappy and, you know, do his cares yeah. and everything. That was, yeah. Exactly. Was really and it, I, and it just, the, the, it just felt like a bit of a lack of continuity. So I'm quite an organized person and my midwife had said to me very early on, like, loud and bossy people in NICU get things done like you need to you need to be quite assertive you need to fight for your baby and I knew like what the guidelines were in order to get him home like where he had to get to with his weight and his feeds and things like that and so my midwife was like look just do what you have to to get him home and we will sort out breastfeeding and everything else once you're home and so yeah we did feeding and we we did some breastfeeding and we were doing bottles and we did everything we had to but I had a, a sheet um at the front of his folder that said, this is the times we will be here. These are the feeds that we will be here for. Richard had to go back to work. Yeah. So I came up from work at a certain time. I was like, I was always there for a morning feed and then like a mid morning. And then I left for the day and then we came back in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost every day a nurse would say, oh, are you here for the 12 o'clock feed? I'm like, no, yeah. I'm never here for the 12 o'clock feed. Like it's written down here. This and I know they, they don't mean to, but they make you feel kind of guilty about it, right? Like, I know yeah. they're just asking, but at the same time, you can't help but feel judged because you need to go home and have a nap because you're exhausted. Yeah. And it, I think as well, like I, I, I tried really hard to recognize that we were doing more than lots of other parents were. And not because yeah. we were doing them, but because a lot of other parents had other children yeah. um, or lived town and so they couldn't be there all day every day because they had other kids they had to parent and they had other things to do and so we were already there significantly more than lots of other people were um but and we were you know we were just doing the best we could but it was definitely it was definitely different and and even things like you know I would be like right we want to bath him now and they were like well you can't do it now you need to do it at this time I'm like no I'm doing it now because I don't know, like he had a wet nappy or something. And I was like, if we're going to be changing him, I want to do a full bath. And 
I think I probably got a few of the nurses offside a little bit because I was quite like, this is what I'm doing. Thank you very much. This is my child and this is how I want to do it. Um, but I think you don't expect it when you haven't had kids before, but that yeah. that motherhood instinct, like when they say, you know, you know your child best. And I remember being pregnant and being like, but how? Like they can't talk and you don't like, how do you know your child? Like you just, <laughs> but you so do like from the moment you become a mother, you just instinctively know. And, yeah. and I think like, I just had to rely on that and go, no, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And like, obviously if they have logical reasons for something, then cool. I'm all ears. But, um, I very much had to yeah, force my own routine and say, right, this is what we're doing because it works for us and it works for our baby. Yeah. And so he came home at around 38 weeks. How big was he? Oh, good question. Um, and I don't know. I want to say five pounds something. So uh, still point, teeny tiny. Really little. Yep. He was, well, in Nicku, he was in tiny prim clothes, which I don't even know yep. if they exist anymore. Uh, this was back when uh, Pumpkin Patch was still around. Um we, we've got some of these clothes that are the tiniest little things. And he was, I don't even know if he was a new, I think he was still in prem. Yeah, he was definitely still in prem when he came home. He was still yeah. really little. Um, but he was healthy and he was gaining weight okay because we were doing a mix of bottle and breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, I remember because before you come home from NICU, you have to room in for mm-hmm. a couple of nights. And they, they'd said he has to gain 20 grams a day or a night in order to be able to go home. And the first night he lost weight and I was like, shit, here we go. Like, I really want to get this kid home. And so I said to Richard, right, new plan. When he wakes in the night, you're going to give him a bottle and I will express. And we're just going to fill him up on bottles and I'll just keep expressing and we'll sort it out later. Yeah. And the next day he gained like 30 or 40 grams or something. And I got told off because he gained weight too much, too quickly. You can't. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, hold up, hold up. These are your rules. <laughs> you said he has to gain 20 grams a day. He has gained 20 grams a good day. We are going home. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and it was very much like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not playing this game. We are, we are out. And um, yeah, so we brought home this baby to this, this house that like, it was weird because we, we hadn't really parented like we had parented for the first six weeks but in a very different way yeah you know we hadn't done any of the night wakes we hadn't done you know any of that stuff because he was in hospital the whole time and so bringing him home was just a totally different experience yeah totally yeah. different experience. yeah but he was healthy that was all that mattered right totally healthy totally fine um we were under pediatric care in Auckland for I think two years. We went up and had a couple of like random tests and checks and things. Yeah. Um, but totally fine. No, he no hasn't issue. had any ongoing issues? Uh no, his eyesight isn't great. He wears glasses, but it's it's better than his brother's. Um but I don't know how much of that could be genetic versus how much of that was Yeah, um, that's what you just don't know. I eh? like it could just be oh. him, no matter when he was born. Yeah, and he's still like he will always be slim. Um, he, you know, he was definitely a small babe and and was a small toddler. But um, now looking at him, he's you know the same height as all the other eight year olds. He's but um, then in saying that, your other two kids are very small as well. Yeah, exactly. Especially I Maddie. I'm, yeah. I make small babies, which is <laughs> you know it is what it is. But yeah, so no, we were very very lucky that he was totally fine. 
So Hadley was your next baby and he was born term? He came at 37 weeks. Yeah, so early, early term. Yeah, so he, when, so we assumed that Regan was a spontaneous premature birth. There was no reason or explanation for it. Mm -hmm. And then with Hadley, we went to our first scan, second scan, one of one of the very early ones. And the sonographer looked at me and she's like, did you know you've got two uteruses? And I was like, what? She's like, see, there's one over here with the baby in it and then there's one over here that's empty. And I was like, no, I, I didn't know that. And also, why did you not see this in any of the scans with the last child? Like, yeah. What? And my midwife rang and she was like, well, that explains a few things, doesn't it? I was like, yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it turned out, and we had no idea with Regan, but it turns out that I've got a, well, we thought it was a bicornia uterus. There's another word for it as well now. Um, and it's basically a heart-shaped uterus with like a septum down the middle, Yeah, which means I've got basically two separate uteruses. And so babies can only grow in one side, and it means they don't have anywhere near as much space as a normal baby would have. Kind of like and- having twins, but only with one baby. Yeah, exactly. And so they run out of space a lot quicker and that's what yeah. can lead to term birth. And so I've prem birth. And so because Regan was head down quite early on and it looks like I had an incompetent cervix, which means my his head was bouncing down and down and down on my cervix, mm. which is what made my waters break early. And so it basically just meant with Hadley that we went into it with a different plan of attack once we knew that there was a reason behind it. I had hyperemesis again, which was not really all that surprising. Mm-hmm. And um, been there. <laughs> well, yep. And then my midwife put me on bed rest from thirty weeks, yep. basically from thirty to thirty-four. Like once we hit thirty-four, we were kind of like, oh well, if they come early, they come early. Um, but those those four weeks just to try to get a little bit longer out of him. Um, and bed rest is really hard when you've got a fifteen-month-old um yeah. toddler running around. Um. And he was very good. And we did kind of our own version of bed rest where it was like, I wasn't in bed. I just moved around as little as I possibly could. So I'd shut the door in the lounge and leave the two of us in the lounge. Richard would come home at lunchtime to lift Regan into his cot for his naps. Um, And then I would like put a stool down to help him climb out uh, once he woke up. Um, If he was getting in the car, he kind of had to climb himself into the car and then we'd go somewhere and I'd you know, I would sit while he ran around and played. Like we just did as little as we kind of could. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very weird experience because, well, I mean, firstly, Hadley was a problem child, but I, <laughs> that's my story. He was footling breach, which meant his foot was in my cervix. Yeah. Um, which is incredibly dangerous. Um, and the hospital wanted to admit me regularly. And I kept saying no. Um, because what they were really worried about was that if my waters broke, my cervix would start to dilate. And his foot and the cord would come out and then he would yeah. die. Um, but I had some really honest conversations with my midwife about it. And I said, look, do I need to be admitted? And she said, you live around the corner from the hospital. You'll probably get from home to the hospital faster than they'd get you from the ward to the delivery suite. But she said, if your waters break, you don't don't even think about cleaning up. You lie down on your side. You do not move. You call an ambulance and they transport you to the hospital on your side. Like, do not let that cord come out. I was like, okay, I can do that. And I was so blasé about it at the time but I was I just kind of had faith that it would be okay yeah did you get I another was, Huggies email <laughs> I didn't I didn't subscribe by that point because I, I knew what I was doing obviously <laughs> but I was so like 
I was so prepped for another prem baby. I was like, cool, okay, so mum will have Regan and we will do this. And then this is how we'll juggle our days with Niku until he's ready to come home. And as we got closer and closer to term, I was like, shit, like, we might, what if we don't do Niku? Like, I don't know how to do a baby without doing Niku first. (laughs) What? And so with him, I ended up going in to the hospital because I had, um, hadn't felt much movement and I, went in just to I said I'll be back later and checked out. And it turned out they did some tests, it turned out my waters were leaking. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you're not going anywhere, you're having a Caesar tonight. And I had to call Richard and be like, Oh, actually, sorry, can you come up to the hospital? We're having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> not a false alarm, sorry. And so he was an emergency Caesar, but again it was a really fantastic birth. It was um my waters broke while we were waiting to go down to the delivery suite. My midwife mm-hmm. was down in delivery trying to help hurry them up so that they could get me down there. Um, and they said, you know, if your waters break, push the emergency button. And I did. My waters broke and I pushed the emergency button and a nurse and a midwife came running in. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, my waters just broke. And the nurse looked at me and she's like, that's not an emergency. And I said, <laughs> oh, the baby's footlings breached. They're worried about cord prolapse and we're waiting for a Caesar. We're waiting for delivery now. And then midwife looked at me and she's like, don't worry, we'll get you sorted out. And they literally like raced me down to the <laughs> to delivery. And I was like, I'm just doing what I was told to do. I was just pushing the button. Um, but it was a beautiful, like really fast delivery, but um, really, really good delivery. He was great. It was bang on 37 weeks. I think, I think it was 36, six actually, but yeah, I called it 37 because you couldn't go to the birth center if he was earlier than 37 yeah um and we were allowed to so we did two days at hospital and then two days at the birth center which was fantastic yeah and so very weird having a baby and just bringing them home right like that's so strange eh? like you're just like i can just leave (laughs) yeah because you would have had it with angus right yeah yeah I remember after I had Angus, the doctor came around and like to discharge me so we could go to Waterford. And he yeah. was like, you know, have you got, are you all good? Like you can walk, you've got your catheter out. And I was like, yep, sweet. And he was like, cool, I'll go get the discharge papers. And then he like walked off and then he came back and he was like, oh, was there any questions about the baby? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, all good. And I was like, so I can, I can just take him? Go, like he's mine? Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, you want to like. Check over the capsule first because if Nick is not a lip checking the car seat or the capsule. Yeah. When you have a, I even a forgot to change his nappy for like four hours because I was so used with the voice to them telling me when to do it. Yeah. It was just, I suddenly heard this, and I mean, he didn't sleep like Regan did because obviously, you know, Regan was used to three hourly feeds yep. and routine and stuff. And all of a sudden, I've just got this baby who just does what he wants. <laughs> I was like, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah. And so then, I get, so from there, we we tried to have a third. We decided we'd have three. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of complications um, to get to Maddie. So we, our next baby, I went in, first scan was fine. And then 10 weeks, my midwife couldn't find a heartbeat at the um, at our checkup and she said I'm going to send you for an extra scan just to check she's like I'm sure it'll be fine I'm like yeah I'm sure it will be as well like it's early that's no issue um and I went in and they found the heartbeat and I was like sweet cool and then they said but and I was like oh god and so all of baby's internal organs were on the outside of its body including its heart and its skull hadn't properly and 
uh, I was an absolute mess. I was like, I don't understand what any of this means. My midwife was overseas, so the backup midwife had to arrange for us to go up to Auckland to go to fetal medicine unit and get checked out. And that was, I mean, again, I was fine because Auckland was fantastic and I was totally happy to go up and, and be up there. Yeah. Um, and that was a bit of a roller coaster because, so firstly they said, has anybody ever checked your kidneys? And I was like, mm, no, why? And they said, well, often people with biconiate uteruses end up having kidney problems. I was like, okay, cool, go for it. And they said, um, oh, look, you've only got one kidney. <laughs> and I went, what? And they said, yeah, see, you've got a kidney on your one side, but not on the other. And I was like, all right. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, you're absolutely fine, but just don't let yourself get dehydrated. And I was like, well, I pretty much never drink water, so cold. <laughs> Um, don't take ibuprofen unless you're really hydrated. I was like, well, that would have been useful to know at university when I was hungover and I lived on ibuprofen for years. Okay, cool, great. I'll learn from this and I'll do that moving forward. Um, so, and then they basically said that the baby wasn't going to be compatible with life. Um, that I it may miscarry or I may get full term and then deliver, and it would it would die immediately because its skull wasn't formed. Yeah. So we made the decision to terminate because. I couldn't, I couldn't go through a full pregnancy, especially with other kids. Yeah. And at the end, explain to the kids why there was no baby. Like I was like, yeah. I can't, I can't do it. And so that was awful, as it would be. Yeah. Uh, and we got pregnant again, and we did another ten week scan just to be sure. And we got to the ten week scan, and the astrographer said, "I'm really sorry, there's no heartbeat." And I was like, "You've got to be sure." And I felt so bad for her because. She was, it's the same stenographer we'd had the whole way Yeah. And so it was a missed miscarriage, but it was a partial molar pregnancy, which means that I had to have regular, so after I had the DNC, I had to have a regular blood tests to ensure that my HCG levels got down to zero because if they didn't, the cells can cause, uh, can turn cancerous. Yeah. And that can be really problematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had to wait for sign-off from the gynecologist until we could try again. And Maddie was our last last one. I said, yeah. if this one doesn't work out, I'm not like three three terminations or three DNCs was my absolute max. And my midwife said that's where most people go, like draw the line. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, she was a viable pregnancy. Um, she was another round of hyperemesis, although less this time. But I think it's because I got hospitalized at eight weeks with her. And so they, they, got, they gave me 11 liters of fluid in two days. Yeah. Um, and I was fine after that, so that was that was great. Um, but she was also breech, and so and they wouldn't let me go over thirty eight weeks, and so yeah. they they did a planned Caesar at thirty eight weeks, which was to be fair the worst birth experience I'd had, and it was not my ideal. But she's here and she's safe. Um, but no, no, we did bed rest again with her, um, and and all of that, and yeah, she was our like. If this works, cool. And if it doesn't, I'm destined to purely be a boy mum and I'm not I'm not doing this again. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm getting to yeah. Um and so I said to them, Look, if she's if we have to have a C section for her, can you tie my tubes at the same time? And they were like, Yes, please. <laughs> I was like, I know people normally have to fight to get them tied and they're like, We don't we don't want to see you again. Like they would wreck up every time I went and they were like, Yeah, no, you're done. I was like, Yeah, no, I really am. Thank you. I don't I don't want to be back here either. Thanks. So we're good. And so I was very grateful because I, I thought I was going to have a bit of a fight on my hands. But I guess, you know, I ticked all of their boxes. I was late 30s, married, yeah, already yeah. had children, and had loads of complications. And so they were yeah. like, you know, we're good. We don't want to see you either. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now you've got your three little babes. 
So now I have three and I am very much done. And um, they are, yeah, it's, we've had interesting starts to life with all of them and yeah. three very different experiences. But that, that NICU experience is, and I know I'm, I'm very aware that we were, we were the lucky ones with NICU, you know, like we yeah. were surrounded families who were were living a really heartbreaking reality and had very long journeys or ongoing medical issues or all sorts of things mm-hmm. and we just had a little baby we you know we didn't have issues and complications and medical problems we just had a small baby mm. who needed who needed time to grow and time to learn how to feed because they they don't know what the hell they're doing when they're 32 weeks I think it was like 35 36 he started to learn to breastfeed and you know we were yeah, we were incredibly lucky. I made some made some friends in the, in the pumping room where you feel like a cow sitting there. <laughs> yeah, they've actually pumping. they've done it up now at Waikato. They've like refurbished yes. it. Yes, we're very very lucky here because um, there are no uh, with the business we're quite closely associated with what's now Little Miracles Trust. Yes, um, what's Natal Trust, and so um, the Waikato branch uh, they don't have a lot of storage space at the hospital, so they store the incubator, the fundraising incubator and, and a lot of their resources here um, at our HQ and uh, take them up to the hospital as and when they need them. And yes. we provide them, um, you know, massive discounts on breast pads that they put into their care packs and things like that. So it's an organisation that I'm um, really, really stoked that we can do things for and and help out with because they do such wonderful work for they do. the families up at the hospital. and. I'm proud that that JD and the Waikato team have managed to make huge changes to the Waikato NICU because it was quite different to Auckland. Auckland had, you know, couch and, um, couches and, and chill-out space and um, there was always food in the fridge for the parents and things like that. And then to kind of come to Waikato where there was a family room but every man and their dog hung out in there. And yeah. then there was a room which was kind of a bench along the wall where you could literally pump and that was it. Yeah, um, it was like that when I was there as well. Yeah, and so for them to, to have been able to upgrade those facilities and provide a really supportive environment for, for new it does parents. Look, it looks amazing too. It looks so yeah, good. That's so good. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we've met I've met people through it and um as I say, I know that our journey was quite different in the sense of we were lucky. We we had a healthy baby right from day one who just needed time. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you've got all your three babies and that you didn't have to go through NICU each time because I can't even imagine being in there when you've got kids at home. Like, it was hard enough just being yeah. in there with the one baby. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I I thought I had a plan to juggle it, but I'm so glad I never had to. Um, yeah. And especially so many of the other families that were there who had to travel away from home or, or yeah. had multiple children and things. I just think, you know, it could have been worse. We were very lucky that, it, yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. No worries. Thank you for chatting with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Hannah for sharing your story with us for this episode. We really appreciate everyone who has submitted their stories and is willing to come and share on the podcast. Um, It's really important to me that we share a really wide range of stories because no two stories are going to be the same. So thank you so much to Hannah. Next week, we'll be back with a new episode and yeah, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode and we'll chat soon. Bye.